Welcome back to another podcast on Treknobabble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And after a long hiatus, for very good reasons, rest assured, uh, we're back with Voyager. Um, and this episode is Think Tank, Season 5, Episode 20. Uh, guest starring Costanza. Oh, wait, Jason Alexander. Okay. Um, I recall liking this a fair amount. I actually, despite having watched it several times over, uh, don't recall much about it besides the the basic premise. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I remember this being one that UPN hyped really hard because of the guest star. I was less annoyed at the outset because I think the uh, 40, 30th, 30th anniversary special, which it aired not too long before this, um, uh, Jason Alexander was in. So I, I knew from a couple of interviews, he himself was in fact a Trekkie. So, you know, it kind of didn't feel, it felt to the extent it was stunt casting. I don't think there were a ton of people who were going to be sucked in just because Jason Alexander was on the show and he actually, you know, liked and wanted to be a part of it as opposed to just, you know, more kind of uh, naked stunt casting. So I was, I was fine with that. Yeah. I mean, look, it, any show that's trying to drum up, you know, sort of viewership is going to do stunt casting. Did Voyager do it a fair amount in this particular season? Well, I mean, so the rock is coming up. That's two. Um, I, you know, as long as they make a decent story out of it, I can get over, you know, a stunt cast member. I guess with TNG, they mostly, you know, like they put, put Mick Fleetwood in a uh, Antedian costume or something, right? So, or James Worthy or something, uh, which wasn't going to appeal to anybody outside of LA anyway. Um, you know, he was a Klingon. It, TNG, I think, went for uh, acting talent, so to speak. Uh, you know, like the, the David Warners of the world. Um you know, so people who wouldn't necessarily be big draws, but would be superb actors. Um, you know, Jason Alexander's fine. Uh, and clearly, you know, he was a very big star at this point, right? This is from 1999, March of 1999. Uh, and so... Was Seinfeld still on the air or was it just ending? It, you know, it was, it was... I think it was just ending because I remember discussing the finale with my, with a teacher of mine and I graduated in, in June of 99. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, he was coming off the, the peak of his stardom. Um, you know, like, did we dislike Whoopi Goldberg? At, you know, I didn't. No, I, no, I, did... I think it's, I think it's a, a kind of a similar... Thing. Like, sure, were they thrilled to bank on such a big name joint wanting to be on their show? Sure. But, you know, it was also like a, like, like, Whoopi Goldberg was also by her own admission a big fan. And I, th- you know, I think that makes a difference. I think it. Yeah. Uh... All right. Well, why don't we start the episode and we'll see where it goes. So get your media queued up, whether it's streaming or disc. And we will all press play together in three, two, one, press play. 
So we got kind of a green room, which looks like a redress of like a brig set or something. Looks like um, a DS9 set of some kind. Mm, yeah, you may be right. This is a pretty decent Westmore head. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's, it's it's definitely a notch above the standard bumpy forehead. Yeah. Well, I like that they're going for less human uh, aliens. And then clearly with these uh, sort of think tank members, this is literally a think tank in front of us, um, you know, they're going for truly non-humanoid races. Uh, and I, I like that. I like that level of ambition, right? Yeah. I, I mean, this thing also is very uh, strange looking. The the sort of rectangular motif does remind me of some of those Deep Space Nine aliens, too. Uh, and the robot, you know, it's cool that the, or the, the AI uh, is also not a humanoid robot, so... And then, you know, that window is interesting. And, you know, there's rumbling beast behind it, some sort of aquatic being. All right, so we have Jason Alexander. How do you feel about his sort of intonation? Uh, I can take it or leave it. Like, I'm not in love with it, but I'm not annoyed by it. I think it does the job of kind of making you forget that it's Jason Alexander. Yeah. I think it tips the hand that he, I mean, I guess the substance of the scene itself kind of does it too, but he's like, he's clearly not on the level. He's clearly not a nice person. You know, he's, he's clearly going to construe the deal with the, you know, ironic, uh, de uh, dedication to detail of a, you know, a genie in your, in your, in a, in, a, in any type of fable, you know, it's like, you know all that kind of from the moment he opens his mouth that he's probably going to be the bad guy. I like how he says, almost reward enough. So, you know, I guess in some ways this is a bit similar to the most toys, uh, if, you, if you know what I mean. You have sort of a, a business concern which is very cutthroat. Um, I mean, obviously, this has this think tank aspect to it. But, you know, I'm, I'm getting a, a Kiva Svajo kind yeah. of air. Yeah, I, I see that. He's not He's not going to be as sort of clownish and, and uh, childlike, but the, the coldness is what I'm getting from Jason Alexander, and I, I like it. Yeah. He could have shaved a little better, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I mean, you know, that alien could have a five o'clock shadow too. Most find it quite unnerving. I like the actor in the blue makeup. He's doing a good job of acting skittish. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting they often make the skittish aliens kind of look like that. You know, like the, um, what are they from TNG? The Euridians. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if it was the same actor. It, it, I don't think it is. It's not quite the same voice, but they often sort of have these mannerisms and uh, even that appearance. 
wouldn't it be kind of annoying to be in that tank all day? I don't know. Maybe it can sort of swoosh out into some other larger area. Yeah. I, you know, I suppose if I were a jellyfish, maybe my perceptions of space around me would be different. Um, you know, it, it raises interesting questions, you know, which are not really addressed in the episode. The episode is doing a sort of, uh, you know, think tank thing. And they're trying to represent non-humanoid species, which I applaud. But there are questions, you know, uh, what kind of evolutionary track would result in, uh, you know, a cephalopod or a, a, a cetacean uh, achieving that level of intelligence, the, the kind of intelligence that could be monetized, right? And it, it does seem as though they're monetizing their intelligence for mostly humanoid species. Uh, you know, wh why would a whale be thinking about, you know, uh, extremely high-level mathematics, for instance, uh, or, or a jellyfish, Um you know, the, the, the AI, I get it. You know, Jason Alexander, I get it. Weird face guy, maybe. You know, I'm just, I'm curious. And this would probably be nearly impossible to dramatize, of course, or, you know, to work into an episode in a meaningful way. You know, what, what is it like? What is it like to be those creatures? Uh, what, what are their planets like? What, it, I guess this is a long way of saying it's at least evocative, even if they don't go far with it. It does sort of tickle my curiosity. I like seeing non-humanoid aliens in Star Trek and in general. Uh, if you have, I don't know if you've seen The Arrival. Have you seen The oh, Arrival? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I've also uh, read the book it's based on. I really liked it. Yeah. And so... One thing I really liked about Arrival is that, you know, it it does what most sci-fi doesn't in that it makes the aliens truly alien and raises sort of an insoluble communication barrier between the two. And most of the movie is just trying to, you know, like say hello, yeah. basically. I like the prop she's using because it looks like they clearly harvested a lights out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's cool looking. And the... The patterns they're giving it, um, I mean, is that, so is that a game from the, the 90s, Kevin? Oh, yeah. Do, do you remember? It was, it was like a little 5x5 five five grid, and when you touched a button, that button would turn on or off, as would the button above, below, left, and right, and the goal was to get all the lights out, and the buttons and color scheme, look. it looks like they harvested a bunch of these toys to make that one. That was a really nice planet. Uh, shot by the way I wonder if it was a digital map that effect is not as good I mean I like the shield effect but the, the explosion was kind of meh it was it was no praxis. <laughs> well, I mean, they don't have a movie budget, do they? Yeah, I don't know if it was the lights out. I'm looking at some Google images here. 
You know, it had hexagonal buttons. That's true. Maybe well, they... just the, 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 the color of the button when unlit and lit looked yeah. very much like a lights out. So I'm, I don't know. Maybe maybe they, just... maybe they carved out some, you know, silicone pieces. Because hexagons are the shape of future things, as right. you know. <laughs> right. And so maybe they just, uh, you know, took out the these sort of rectangular doodads and put hexagonal doodads over them. Anyway, cool. Cool prop. I like it when Voyager uh, has to sort of wheel and deal with unfriendly races because it does it is a change of pace from the sort of TNG universe, you know, uh, you know, they're in a place where the Federation has no cachet, um, you know, no one cares about them. So people are distrustful and, you know, sort of devious. <laughs> Every spare gigawatt. 1.21 gigawatts? Or gigawatts? It's GIF, damn it, and I won't hear any conversation. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> no. I mean, it was clearly... Uh, what's his name? Um, oh, man. I'm blanking. Doc Brown slash Krug. Commander Krug. Anyway, he clearly mispronounced it in the movie, and no one wanted to correct him. Uh, it is gigawatt. And I agree with you, it's GIF. Uh, GIF just sounds, it's peanut butter. You right, know? right. Like, There's already a GIF, and it's the, the first sound being abbreviated is a hard G. And... Yeah. Well, it's graphic, right? Right, right. That's what I'm saying, yeah. What the hell is the creator? Oh, yeah. He can go fuck himself as far as that goes. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the creator of the format says it's Jeff. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> it's not in your control anymore. Yeah, some nice astrometrics stuff. Good graphics. I like when they light the ship um, for nighttime. It's a good set for it. They ha they have a fair number of like reflective accents that sort of pick up uh, lights. Yeah, yeah. You know, it. I've I've always liked this set better than the DS9 set. For me, you know, I, the Cardassian aesthetic just kind of wore thin for me, uh, and then whenever they were in more federation-y stuff uh, it was always extremely well lit so it just i don't know this works for me i really like their mess hall i like the idea of the mess hall too you know the mess hall kind of harks back to tos uh and for better or worse uh enterprise and even discovery uh use the mess hall more um you know, Ten Forward always had a different vibe, of course. Yeah. And it was a, a later edition. That's a nice scene cut. Um, I mean, I, I assume Jason Alexander just kind of walked in. 
and sat down. And the only thing missing was Janeway opening and closing a medicine cabinet to reveal Jason Alexander standing behind her. Which would have worked for me, too. I would have liked that. Who are you and what do you want? <laughs> I'm not digging the, the forehead makeup. It looks it looks unfinished to me. Yeah. That Now, that's a very typical, you know... Moorhead, yeah, West West Ted, Moorhead. Yeah. Uh, you know, meh. It, I mean, it could have been on a Klingon. You know, they could have just repurposed it. In fact, I am not really here. An isomorphic projection. <laughs> yes, those words mean things. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's interesting that he can drink coffee. And it is an acquired taste, isn't it? I like, you know, I like the way he describes them. Uh, you know, a small group that seeks out challenges. I think they have good chemistry. Yeah, I'm I'm rolling this plot around in my head, and I can't decide. I don't know. Something about this story feels, I don't know, a little too constructed. Like they wanted to have a vehicle for Jason Alexander, and they worked backwards from that a little bit. Maybe I don't know. Uh, it, I'm from what I'm recalling of. Uh, of the uh, of the rest of the episode, and I'm obviously reserving judgment until I watch it. I I just don't know if I ever get that engaged with the plot for itself. I agree that the the general um, tension here. So you've got this race, the Hazari, and um, you know they're they're not typically bounty hunters, apparently. Uh, and there's a cloud of Metreon gas and they're going to use this to try to basically extort Voyager. Right. Uh, and so, yes, it could be a better sort of threat of the week, if you will. Right. Yeah. Here are the, here are these other ships and they're, they're having a hard time getting through and, so the think tank is offering them a solution, right? This seems like something that the crew could solve, realistically. Also, you know? um, not to you know give it away too hard, but the review—not to you know—spoiler alert for you know a show that's twenty years old. Um, the 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 reveal that the think tank is behind the attacks in the first place also didn't isn't going to land with too much of a shock. It's like, oh, you mean this was a maneuver for them to get the thing they wanted that they knew you would never give voluntarily? Shocking. Like, yeah. Um, well, and saying that the Hazari are frequently bounty hunters, you know, gives that a little bit of a tip too. Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I guess on that level, you know, that there, there is some rationale to how seemingly thin this problem is, right? Or out of the blue, the problem seems to be. So Janeway and Seven are going on board. 
they didn't just discuss Seven going on board. This seems like a happenstance. Uh, I also like that the hull's made of neutronium. I'm all, that's another one of those like sci-fi buzzwords. It's like, <laughs> like it would be impossible to move a ship made of the densest material imaginable. Yeah. Well, maybe it's like really thin plates of neutronium. I guess this jellyfish is an expert on temporal physics. Perhaps the most gifted member of the group. Again, I, I have questions. You know, why would a jellyfish be an expert in temporal physics? So is it here that they're really just getting to know that Seven of Nine is extremely valuable? No, isn't this all puffery? Don't they eventually reveal Seven was their goal all along, like known to them from the start? Uh, that that squares with my recollection. And so they've got this telepathic communication link, which is not dissimilar to the Borg Collective, I guess. It's also not dissimilar to uh, several TOS uh, devices of similar design and purpose. That is like a oh, well, classic. The, the, to... <laughs> yeah, the sort of shifting light doohickey underneath a frosted glass dome, definitely. <laughs> it's like, uh, is it called Tomorrow is Yesterday? Uh, no. Oh, what's that one called? With the, with the three globes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, oh, um... The one where they switch bodies, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, God, it's it's getting late and I'm getting old. My instant recall for certain Star Trek minutiae diminishes with time, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, having kids definitely has reduced my reaction time to certain things. <laughs> I don't know how you having kids did that to my reaction time, but here we are. <laughs> All right, so here's the other individual. It, it does look up. like they kind of souped up the Nomad, which I, which I, in the end, I like. I yeah, so, yeah, I'm okay with that. It would have been nice if it floated or something, or moved in some way. But you know, they're going for non-human, right? They've helped hundreds of clients. Reignited the red giants of the Xi cluster and found a cure for the Vidian phage. Uh, there, I don't know. Uh, do I? Do I like that throwaway line? Like, it's it's about like, is it fan service? Yes, in a way, because it's a reference to a very interesting story. The problem is, it's like it. it it's kind of a throwaway line that closes the book on a really interesting story without any payoff for the viewer. I don't know. It just. I don't know if I like that they cured the Vidian's phage off screen. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would be better if they had a Vidian in their group. Yeah, I, I agree. The Vidians were such an interesting concept that was so underutilized that it, it, it smarts a little. I, I like it, but I, I have, yeah, <laughs> reservations. I will say that this dialogue scene uh, is a bit slow. You know, they're sort of yeah. 
And I, I think Jason Alexander's line reading is kind of contributing to that a little. Everything is in this kind of almost like, like, like it, it not to diminish Jason Alexander's acting ability, which are, which is considerable, but um, Jeffrey Combs is really the master at it. He, he can do that same kind of breathy, obsequious inflection that doesn't slow it down. No, I definitely see what you're saying. Uh, you know, they, they've sort of toned down the music, too. Not, I'm not criticizing it because, of course, I've been longing for slow dialogue-heavy scenes uh, for the past, you know, 15 episodes of a certain show that which will not be mentioned. Um, and, you know, I'm enjoying what they're talking about. Like, I like the – now, whether or not uh, he's being honest about their limits – you know, talking about not decimating a species or creating weapons of mass destruction, you know, like that's interesting. I, I think maybe part of the problem is um, each of the aliens seems to be designed to be the most interesting conversation piece that they could be in this scene. And the end product is a group of people that it almost doesn't make sense that they would work together. Like even with their telepathic link, it just doesn't seem to, like, why would this group actually be capable of synthesizing better, faster, newer ideas than any other comparably intelligent, resourced group? And maybe it's because none of the creatures feel organically produced. They're, they're designed from, like, I, I don't know, maybe this script needed, like, one pass from, a third, from another writer just to punch up the dramatic beats. Because right now, everything seems like a neat idea, but nothing's really landing with any kind of emotional heft. I certainly don't care about the think tank and, like, what happens to them. And the problem for Voyager is amorphous enough. And like you said, given that they kind of successfully evaded the first gambit, I don't really have a sense that these are people for whom they'll need this level of outside help to deal with. Yeah. So, so so none of the none of the emotional dramatic points are really landing what we have is kind of a gentle gently accumulated accretion of interesting ideas yeah so if the threat were more on the level of what we were experiencing with year of hell, hell for uh, instance you, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth yeah you know then you could see them going uh to this quantum slipstream technology Neelix says Shadra Cobb. Ancient Olmec figurine. Do they have an ancient Olmec figurine? All right. Well, Chakotay has one. We're, we're, we're adding one more uh, Mesoamerican culture to his, uh, to his background. I do think that the angle they'll get to which is seven of nine uh, apparently <laughs> you know is among the most gifted minds in the universe now is, is that because she's a borg or is it because of annika hansen you know um i don't know right but it, it is at least an interesting uh, sort of story angle you know would she be more fulfilled more satisfied, you know, with this group. Um, I guess they've kind of done that 
I, maybe that's why I keep thinking about the most toys. Um, it's not a ripoff of the most toys, but there are certain commonalities, right? Because that's what Kivas Fajo offered to Data too, right? It's like you will be admired, but you'll also explore, you know, all the the arts and humanities, and you know, yeah, and, like, and, uh, and and like there's there's good dramatic potential in you know. Like, Janeway obviously is not going to barter with the lives of her crew members. That's a very unstarfly thing to do. But if Seven says, I would freely choose to do this, then you kind of have a clash of what Janeway wants versus what Seven wants. Um, so that's that's fun. Uh, and again, may- maybe just what's kind of keeping this on a simmer as opposed to a boil is just the fact that we, we don't seem to be facing a problem that requires this level of Sophie's choice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're having, like, an intimate conversation about it in a quiet room. You know, there's no one attacking the ship. There's right. Yeah. So yeah, the, the external, uh, dramatic force is a bit muted. Like I almost hate to say it, but I think a more interesting episode would have been pitching seven's boredom and make the thing tank exactly what it appears to be. Because uh, I'm trying to think, there's got to be a, D- a TNG episode, and I'm just struggling to think of it, where it's like, I don't know, like, what if they, what if you offered the opportunity for Barkley to stay with the Cytherians or something, you know, where it's like, where it actually would be some kind of, like, really tempting thing um, to stay. And, like, so rather than make the thing tank the bad guys, you could focus the narrative uh, fulcrum on Seven really having to decide... Um, does she seek some immediate benefit of this new experience at the cost of the relationship she's built? Does she understand that some, you know, your life is not always going to be entertaining and immediately fulfilling and you ride those out to the points in which they become those things again? Like, like if you wanted to tell a story about Seven's emotional growth, that could have been, I think, a more, more kind of direct dramatic arc that wouldn't have required all of the nested subterfuge of the think tank. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, they are getting a little bit to that in this dialogue here. Yeah. You know, you're only tapping a fraction of your abilities um, and you can't expand them, you know, if if you do these sorts of things. Uh, have we had the Omega Molecule story yet? I don't think so. So, you know, they're talking about her desire for perfection, right? Um. I'm going to look that up. (laughs) Maybe that is season six. Maybe we already have done it. Maybe it is season four because it was fairly early in her. You know, she pulled the I've never asked you for anything card. Yeah, the Omega Directive season four. Um, You know, so they're coming back to this uh, notion, right? That she desires perfection. It's it's like a a nearly spiritual um, thing that she's trying to attain, which would have been a good explanation for her <laughs> actions in Dark Frontier. Um, you know why she chose to go with the Borg. Maybe here here's my other problem. Like, uh, if the think tank is actually this proficient. 
shouldn't the market just be giving them stuff they want? Like, like it, it doesn't like if they're really this capable, they wouldn't have to like discreetly coerce people into giving over their firstborn children. It seems like they'd be able to just command on the open market some pretty neat stuff. You know, maybe that's what's nagging me too. Where it's like, it seems like they 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 seem to surgically approach desperate people with complex problems as opposed to just general problem solving. Which like I don't know like they're. This think tank seems crafted to be evil, like an 80s corporation on Mars. And again, it just kind of underscores this, um, uh, like, disreality to them. Like, they don't seem like a real group of people. Okay. Like, yeah, I just, I just think that, like, um... Like, I think you, the, the more dramatically interesting story is, like, Marasta Yale in First Contact. Where it's like, she wants to go with these people, and they're actually nice people. And that creates some dramatic tension for her and for the people around her, I assume. Um, like, I think that's just a more fun story to tell. Uh, shields down to 60%. 60% of what? We will never know, and we have learned not to ask. <laughs> yeah, I, I have criticized it many times, and I think Voyager leans way too hard on the fake drama of a steadily reducing uh, percentage of shield strength future star trek iterations did it less uh you know enterprise kind of tried to hand wave it and say well we don't have shields we We have have, hull plating yeah polarize the hull plating you know and is how yeah. many hits could the hull plating take? Who the hell knows? Right, unless right? they're chucking magnets at you, I never understood what that was possibly going to do. <laughs> well, that's, how many hits can it take? One more than any given episode uh, <laughs> will dish out, right? And that just gets to be old after a while. We have an old expression. Don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> I do like the sort of hanging up on. Oh, Chakotay's in this episode. <laughs> And ladies and gentlemen, Robert Beltron in his contractually obligated appearance this week. Let's give him a hand. <laughs> uh, I guess he was tending his Olmec figurine earlier. Ah, see, we have actual spoken dialogue here. Their calculations indicate a 96% chance. <laughs> is there any scene that ends with a with like zooming in on an actor's face that is used to indicate something other than being evil? Has anyone ever used the tight close up to end a scene to indicate any other state of being? <laughs> yeah, probably not. I like the makeup on these guys. Uh, yeah, it's got a bit of an enemy mine yeah, vibe to it, yeah, yeah. Sort of, or a tosk. Yeah, uh, you know, but it looks good, and it's a uh, it's a nice variation. This is a good shot. It's um, 
uh, that was a nice pan, a good move of the camera, like the layout of that shot was nice. Their ship interior does have kind of a shuttlecrafty look. Yeah. In a in, not in a good way. Like just two guys standing around. They have definite bad guy uniforms. Oh yeah. <laughs> The jaunty weapon angle, the the black ribbing. This is a nice shot here, though. Yeah. With the the window showing the interior of the shuttle bay. He tried a mind meld without success. Not a big fan of that writing choice. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. At least they didn't show it to us. <laughs> but yes, he should have just tried interrogating them without success. I'm surprised that the think tank was not interested in the 29th century technology. Uh, <laughs> In the doctor's hollow emitter. Well, that was, uh, it wasn't the doctor's episode. Yeah, yeah. The Malon are economically motivated. A hologram of a hologram. If you'll excuse me, we need to go to the microfilm room where we can do this with a dramatic reveal on microfilm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why they had to go to the doctor at all. It's like, it seemed like the doctor, or uh, Tuvok and Janeway were pretty good at that. Yeah, they were ready all on their own. You can see the lumbar support and those chairs can be adjusted up and down. If the future is very ergonomic. Yeah. Well, I mean, they look more ergonomic than the Cardassian chairs. They're notorious in this sector. I mean, how far do these people go, I guess, is a question. If they've solved the Vidian phage, like, that's at least 10,000 yeah. light years in, in the other direction, right? Yeah, and, and again, it's just kind of like, not to, n- not to, not to turn into a, you know, free market uh, partisan here or anything. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be drummed out of my, my, my socialist club. But just, it doesn't make sense for them to do business in this way. You know, well, I mean, maybe perhaps it is not truly profit that they're seeking. I mean, it it doesn't seem like the acquisition of mere things uh, is. And yes, you know, I know that there are some (laughs) free marketeers out there who 
would say, well, no, you know, monetary advantage is not the only thing that's valuable. It's something that is scarce. And so these people are seeking scarce goods, uh, even if they are non-monetary in nature. Seven of nine is scarce. Uh, you know, a particular thing of beauty is scarce, right? Uh, but, you know, th they don't seem to live ostentatiously, right? Uh-oh, it's a montage. <laughs> Everyone I wonder just, what they actually talk about during yeah, these months. Yeah, everyone's just saying peas and carrots, peas and carrots. <laughs> We're talking circles. She's got that puzzle. I wonder it if it's, like a, a, it's not a puzzle, it's a metaphor. <laughs> it's a Chekhov's puzzle. What are the rules of this puzzle? I mean, I guess 709 can figure it out. Kind of How did you do that? I scanned the device. That's cheating. If you can't solve a puzzle, cheat. So, although I'm not a big fan of the, you know, sort of flash of inspiration solution to problems, uh, because it... <laughs> It's just a little cheap, a little quick. <laughs> like a balloon with two-inch air in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do like that, you know, they're coming up with sort of a sort of a, a lateral strategy, you know. And I, I believe the rest of the episode is going to go in sort of a former victims grouping up to, you know, take on the think tank. Yeah. Which I think is a, is a nice uh, angle, too. <laughs> So, you know, I'm looking at their ship and, you know, it, it's, they're not living in the lap of luxury. And there have been species depicted on screen in Star Trek that do live in the lap of luxury, right? So that's not what they're after, right? It does seem like they really are after uh, information and experiences. Like, I'm kind of taking him at his word that they they fancy themselves explorers, you know, and, you know, they really are trying to obtain the most unique things and things that would not be exchanged. Okay. So that's why their business, it's not a business, mm. <laughs> you know, it, the business model is not a business model because they're not in business, you know, that they're, they're trying to do something other you know, enrich themselves. It would it would be as if humans, uh, you know, no longer sought monetary gain and wanted to enrich themselves by, you know, taking the best art from everywhere. You know, each culture's uh, signal achievement, the thing they would never give up for any price, you know. And that's why they've made so many 
uh, enemies uh, across this sector, whatever a sector is. <laughs> 99.8% certain. Can he see all their displays? It's always unclear. It's unclear when they do the holographic communication of any kind. It's like, are you just standing on your ship? Do you see Cisco sitting in a chair on your ship? Like he sees you sitting in a chair on his ship or like, <laughs> well, I mean, it's an isomorphic projection. The ISO prefix means equal, as in isometric, having equal measurements. So equal shape, you know, because morphe is shape, right? I, I'm guessing it's like something that has the physical qualities of the thing, but is controlled by your mind. So it, it, I assume he's not moving at all. Yeah wherever he actually is. So he's not walking around. I got to say, even, even the way they manipulate their pads feels very evil. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why would you make an X shaped screen? You know, I don't know. I could see spherical. Can obviously see square or rectangular, but X shaped. If we call their bluff, the Hazari might destroy Voyager, and we would lose you. Wasn't that something Cole Rami said in the uh, in the Stratagema episode, or was that Pulaski talking to Data about it? Mm. I, just, I just remember that line. <laughs> she she says that you have to measure yourself against uh, competition. A jewel in a bed of fog. <laughs> there is a metaphor yeah, for you. That is quite the metaphor. Or a simile, I suppose, like a jewel. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we distinguish between similes and metaphors on such a pedantic grammatical basis? <laughs> there's, there's a question for the think tank, and I'll give you my most prized possession for a solid answer. <laughs> well, let's look at the Greek for metaphor. <laughs> figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. Okay. So, ferine is to transfer. Uh, meta, of course, is uh, outside of or around. Um, so, you're transferring meaning from something to another thing 
things that aren't really related. Okay, so a simile, you're saying it's literally like something. A metaphor, you're you're deriving some sort of meaning, even though the things aren't, you know, perfectly coherent with each other. Uh, so, I mean, from the grammatical perspective, you know, like people are just like, well, you said like, so it's a simile, you know, and you said is, so it's a metaphor, right? But the real distinction would be, you know, truly how similar things are. You know, if the the person ran away like a greased weasel, you know, well, I mean, that's a simile, right? But if they escaped as a fog or something... It's like, no, nah, I mean, they didn't really, like, become gaseous. They just seemed to slip away. So, really, you could say, like a fog, and it would still be a metaphor. Uh, I do enjoy Janeway's uh, winning smirk. She she gets to give it a lot, and it's it's a worthwhile trip. Yeah, yeah. This is a, a nice scene. So, this is what I was talking about with, you know, all the previous, you know, sort of victims, uh, you know, sort of. The think tank is getting their comeuppance, right? And yes, and they actually sort of ended the episode on the winning smirk. Um, and Kate Mulgrew does a good job with it. Uh, yeah, I would not have minded a little, you know, um, Coda with uh, Seven and Janeway talking about, you know, were you really tempted? Stuff like that, you know. So I guess in some ways there's a bit of an echo of first contact too. Yeah. Right? The movie. Yeah. Uh, in that data is or is not tempted uh, to join and expand his own horizons, both in sort of harvesting skin from other creatures, as well as, uh, I don't know, doing the nasty with the Borg Queen or something. Um, all right. Well, so I think it's fair to say that although there are reasonably good uh sort of character conflicts certain things are not developed to the the point that they could be yeah. as far as being uh dramatic and exciting and uh sort of emotionally pressing um you know the the hazari thing was not good enough uh as far as a a, a danger right yeah, and if if the think tank were coming up with a danger to you know challenge the ship, it, it, see, it seems like they could make one that seems truly intractable. Well, it's uh, like it's like when they um, had Paris pretend to be disaffected to give you know some credence to the idea he would leave the ship and end up with the Kazon. They built it to like give it some weight. Like for a while there, it's like oh Tom must be really unhappy. Um, they played it so they played it very well. So like something closer to that, I think would have been way more interesting. Do you think it would have helped uh, if we had seen now we, we did see in the teaser uh, a particular, you know, race, the blue guys uh, being sort of horn swoggled by the think tank, uh, manipulated and coerced. Would it have helped if we had like visited a planet or something and seen a race that had lost its most important thing to the think tank to sort of 
give it more emotional weight. Uh, you know, maybe a, a kid, a girl could be crying or something. <laughs> and you, but do you know what I mean? Like just some way of uh, making it visual and making it dramatic. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the episode might have benefited from something like that. Uh, so a more intense uh, and seemingly intractable conflict, I think, would have been beneficial. And then maybe more of a portrayal of their victims uh, could have helped. And I think you're right, Kevin, that uh, a bit more. Now, I'm not saying we need the scene where 709 says, when you liberated me from the collective. <laughs> you know. And they did steer clear of that. Thank goodness. Uh, in this episode, uh, but a little more with them. Right. And I, I think you're also right. Like if they had made it seem like more of a live option. Yeah. That she would go with them. Uh, or at least want to, like we yeah. obviously know Jerry Ryan's not leaving the show. So, I mean that, you know, can only take you so far dramatically, but it should give us a twinge. Like, and maybe that's that, like, that's the kind of, um, uh, problem there where it's like even if we accept that seven is at some level you know unfulfilled with her role on voyager the obvious evil bona fides of this group are going to foreclose it as an option so like i if they found a way to make the think tank exactly what it appeared to be i think it would then give the um option of leaving at least some you know mental possibility if not a practical one but it's like once you know they're like evil, manipulative jerks, Seven's never going to voluntarily go with them no matter what they're offering. She's simply come too far in her emotional development. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I mean, so I guess it sounds like they could have gone two different ways. They could have made the think tank more evil in a way, which by which I mean to to dramatize their sort of ruthlessness to a more effective degree, or they could have gone the other direction and made it much more appealing, uh, right to us and to the Voyager crew and especially to seven of nine. Uh, so yeah, you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting concept that, you know, didn't get broken out in the best possible way as far as writing goes. Uh, you know, acting wise, I thought Jason Alexander did a fine job as yeah. a guest yeah. actor. I think he had good chemistry with Janeway, uh, with Kate Mulgrew. I think Kate Mulgrew nailed the sort of like, I don't like you. <laughs> uh, it's not that I hate you and I'm not going to yell at you, but man, I'm sick of your bullshit. Like she's good at that face. Right. And then. You know, when she sort of turned the tables on him at the end, it was a satisfying moment. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Ryan didn't get the scenes maybe that we wanted her to, you know. If they could have found some way to show us something really appealing to her, right? So speaking of the Omega Directive, you know, that was an episode where they did that pretty well, right? They gave Jerry Ryan the scenes where she feels a religious fervor, right? Yeah. You know, whatever the problems are with calling the thing a molecule, you know, let's not go there, <laughs> right? Um, you know, no, it's, it's a simile. 
<laughs> it it worked. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it worked for her character, though. You know, like we felt it along with her. They gave her the scenes to to successfully, you know, go there emotionally as a character. Um, here that, you know, they didn't. It, it never seemed like a live option. Um, but she was fine. Uh, Effects-wise, you know. There was some good pre- stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Some good alien designs, uh, decent wardrobe. Uh, pretty good space battle stuff. Uh, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say anything stuck out tremendously. Uh, I mean, oddly, I, I thought the the ship shot inside the, <laughs> the cargo bay was actually yeah. uh, one of the more impressive ones to me. I, I like the window looking at the whale creature. Uh, that was cool. And I, I just appreciate the non-humanoid aliens. Uh, yeah, yeah, but... I, I like the attempt. No, it felt like this was a good idea that was competently executed and needed like one one more pass to really shake out a great episode. Um, well, this was a story by Berman and Braga, actually. Hmm. Um, and the teleplay was by Michael Taylor, who... Did a lot of Voyager scripts, um, mostly teleplays, a few original stories. Yeah. Michael Taylor is behind Blink of an Eye, which may well be the single best Voyager episode. Um, and Someone to Watch Over Me, which, uh, or that's not his story, actually. Um, that's a teleplay. He, he did come up with the fight, the boxing episode. Yeah. The writers Counter- giveth and the writers taketh away. Yeah. He did Counterpoint. Okay, which I like was, that one, yeah. Yeah, pretty decent. Um, drive. Well, meh. Counterpoint's a good example because I think it manages to tell a fairly familiar story and give it some life by putting our focus on different places instead of being like locked in the attic with the telepaths. Um we were with the bad guy and it like, like it, it did a good job of energizing that story by making Janeway very competent. And that like, like, yeah, it, it took that standard story and it gave enough interest to enough of the bad guys to make me, even if I didn't care about him, I cared about Janeway caring. And that was where the interest in the episode ultimately lied. And that, that was just missing for me a little bit here. No, I agree. Yeah, I would say in the balance, this this is a three. Um, I don't think this makes it into a four. No, I agree. I'm I'm there on a three. I don't think it's a two. I think no, it's, no, the two's off. It's the a table. solid hour of television. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I never was like, uh, like actively annoyed or frustrated or angry. Um, I, yeah, I, I would say a two is never in consideration. It was one of those like. I'd be willing to entertain a conversation about a three story and a guest star turn could elevate it to a four, but I don't think we got there. So yeah, I, I would say a three. Uh, speaking of Michael Taylor, um, his DS nine episodes, tell me if you think these are good ones. The visitor is his story and script. Okay. Well done, uh, sir. In the pale moonlight is his story and oh, script. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shit. 
uh, Resurrection. Which one is that? Uh, that's the, the one when Vedic Burial comes back. It's, Mirror Burial. Yeah, it's the. It, there's no way that that wasn't going to be a. There was no way the episode right after the wedding wasn't going to feel like a letdown, or like when they get back to the station. <laughs> It's like it, it was that was going to be a rough road no matter what. They didn't do themselves any favors with the one they picked, but you know. <laughs> and also Things Past, which was a pretty darn good episode. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's the one with the flashback yeah. of Odo as constable. Yeah. Hmm. So he's got some good credits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then he is also responsible for the fight, so there's that. Well, I mean, they can't all be winners. I mean, <laughs> that's it's a decent batting average. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I would. If we criticize a lot here, it's what we do. It's what we enjoy doing. But let's be clear. I mean, even some of the like you know the less storied writers in our estimation, we would be thrilled to have a professional output. You know, it's kind of, it's one of those like. Um, <laughs> It's fine. I could live. I could live with having written in the pale moonlight, if if it meant also having written the um, move along home. Yeah, like yeah, I I could live with. It. I'd be like, you know what? That is fine. In the balance, I'm still ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, so that makes a total of six for Think Tank. Uh, a solid, unspectacular uh, episode that. Left us wanting more, um, but certainly not a horrendous show by any means. Uh, not a, a wasted hour of time. Um, you know, <laughs> it's uh... oh, I, I shouldn't keep piling on Discovery. It's a, it... <laughs> it's better than Discovery. Okay, there, I said it. Discovery right. tr Discovery tries for more and fails more spectacularly. Uh, this episode, you know, it hinted at some things, didn't really shoot for them, and mostly works. Anyway. All right, on that note, um, hopefully, I, I, I believe we should be able to keep up a pace of, you know, more than once every two months uh, uh, for the foreseeable future. So we should see you back here relatively quickly uh, for the next podcast here at Trek Uh and Have a good night. Okay. Live long and prosper. <laughs>